Acts 17, if you want to stand, we'll read uh, 24 through 31. Speaking tonight on the attribute of God, his aseity or his self-sufficiency, okay, his self-sufficiency. Acts 17, starting in verse 24, reads like this, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and their boundaries of their inhabitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us, we can say praise God for verse 27. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of you own poets have said, for we also are his Children, being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead lord as we endeavor to look into your character your attributes lord as your children learning of their father lord i ask that you uh, give us what we desire tonight lord to know more of you as we look at an attribute lord that we truly can't ever fully understand. Lord, help us to look into your word and uh, and know what we can know about your self-sufficiency. Lord, help us to be emboldened as someone that's dependent on you, knowing that you are depending on no one, that you lack nothing, that you have zero needs, but that you give of yourself to us. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for standing. We're going to go through these attributes and there's going to be some theological words that we have to uh, digest, that we have to define. And uh, one of those is today, I'm not going to lie to you, I had to break out a dictionary. That's not true. I googled it. But I, I went to Webster's Dictionary online to look at what aseity means because whenever I was studying this and I seen that, Two things come to my head. One, I ain't never seen that word before, right? I've never seen it in the Bible. But when I looked at the definition, and like I said, it's in all of our systematic theology books. It's, it is part of the attributes of God. This is the uh, working definition that we have for this. God's aseity means that he is sufficient to himself, independent of anything outside of Himself. In other words, God is self-sufficient. We like to use that term, I'm self-sufficient, I'm on my own, but we are dependent upon so much, so many things, right? Not just a few weeks ago, we found that out when we were in here trying to praise the Lord and the lights went out, right? I am dependent in my flesh for that unit right there to work, for that air conditioner to work. I am inconvenienced when I am outside of my element. But when it comes to the things of God, he is never outside of his element. He is never in need of anything. And what we're going to see is out of that self-sufficiency, that divine attribute that God and God alone has, comes every good thing out of him. If he is self-sufficient, then I must be dependent on him, right? If he is self-sufficient, and what we're saying is this is one of those attributes that I can't contribute to myself. Yes, you can be sufficient in some means, but we can never be fully self-sufficient. 
the most out there, off the wall, uh, war prepper, right? End times Armageddon guy that grows his own food, is off the grid, all of this stuff is still dependent on some things. We are never fully self-sufficient. Let that guy that's living off the grid, let his stream or his babbling brook dry up. He's going to die if he doesn't find water, right? He is never self-sufficient. God is the only being in all of the universe that is completely and totally and divinely self-sufficient. Nothing we can do, like talking about this morning, nothing we can do here on this end will ever add to God. Nothing we do on this end will ever take away from God because he is totally self-sufficient. Everything that we have, it's from him. That's what the word of God says. Every good gift that you have is come from him, right? So for those out there who say, you know, if you sow a seed into certain ministries that God is going to be blessed and he'll bless you. And, and there is some truth to that. It was said tonight in the business meeting, you can't outgive God. And that's completely true when it's given from the rightness of heart out of a cheerful giver, right? We, we understand all that. We're not talking about money tonight, but to think, right, that I can give God something and he will be gained from that is to think that God is lacking in something, right? If I think I can give a $100 bill and God's going to go, whew, been waiting on that. Like That's not what this is about, right? God doesn't need our money, but he desires his church to fund the church, right? To build the kingdom. He's not waiting and saying, boy, if you could just fill up these coffers, you know, Indonesia is going to be saved. Like that's not what he, that's not what God does. He's not, man, I would really like, you know, to come back and get y'all, but we got to meet this. We got to meet this budget. This, this is heavenly budget here. That's not what God is doing. God is self-sufficient in his good timing. The Bible says all things come to be right. He's not waiting on anything except himself because he's self-sufficient. So that is our, our working definition. God's eternal, uh, internality is his aseity with respect to time. Okay. He is the Lord of time existing above and apart from it, but free, free to enter it to accomplish his purpose. So with God being self-sufficient, he is the creator of all things so he can enter into and remove himself from at his will in his creation. So that's what we see today. And looking at uh, Ford in Galatians, what we're going to come to realize is that for a Christian, what we consider our mundane life, our ordinary life, God considers the means of sanctification. So what I'm saying is that any random Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, whether you're in church or not, God is continuing to pour into you and to move you into a more sanctified state, a maturing state, day after day, time after time, little increments, little steps. You can look back over the years and go, oh my Lord, what has he done? I am nowhere where I was, right? And then there's also those times where he breaks in to reality and something supernatural happens, right? So he is free to do both of those things. Just through his ordination and through his divine providence, his will is done. And then there's those times where he steps in, does supernatural things, and then steps out. He's able to do that because he's self-sufficient. He isn't dependent on time. He isn't dependent on resources, on anything. He does as he wills. Amen? Does that make sense? It's the God that I want to serve. I don't want to serve a God that is lacking in something, because what does that, that that does a lot for my assurance. Wait, if you're lacking in this area, what, what, what about the part of the Bible that says nothing can rip me out of your hands, right? It, it starts to crumble when our God is less than what he says he is. When we start to attribute the attributes of the gods of this world to the creator God, we start to have a problem. God is the only God. He is the only one 
who can say these things about himself and then back these things up, right? So aseity marks the great difference between creator and creature. We have to start here because if God isn't self-sufficient, nothing else matters, right? If God isn't completely outside of his creation, that means some part of him is created, right? If God is less than self-sufficient, then we close these books. We go do whatever we want to do. Have a great life. This is all you have, right? That, that I don't, I don't want to live like that. I want the word of God to tell me who my God is and my Lord, what it says about God is amazing. So this is why we're starting here. God is self-sufficient and he is sufficient. He backs himself up. He's he always has been. He always was. He always will be. There is no beginning. There is no end in God which is great satisfaction to his children because although we have a beginning, we have no end. We'll be with him forever. There is no end to eternity. One preacher said it like this. He was asked, how long is eternity? He said, just enough time to know everything there is to know about God. So how long is eternity? to the very millisecond that you know everything there is to know about God, and then there's nothing else to know. But eternity will be forever because you'll never, you'll never know everything there is to know about God. How can you know an all-encompassing power like God? It's going to take us eons and eons and eons. Why do you think we praise Him around His throne every second of every day outside of time? None of this makes sense. Why, what is there to praise him for? There's something new today. That, that he's, there's something new in him. I, I know him in a different way today. It's, it should blow your mind. These, some of these things, it's like all we can do is talk about them, and, and we can talk about them forever, and we'll never truly understand it. But my God, I'll put a hope in a God who is self-sufficient. Hey, man, Thor is cool. But all you have to do is watch a couple of them Marvel movies and you find out he's not a real good God. Like He really isn't. He's got flaws, right? And he loses his powers. What kind of God can lose his powers? Well, a God who's created, right? A God who isn't God. My God doesn't carry around a hammer. He just speaks and things happen. He just, out of his will, manifest creation. No, there is no power higher than our God. See, it marks the great difference between creator and creation, but it also marks God's freedom to enter the creation without compromising himself. Nothing that God does, because God is dictated by his own promises, his own covenants, he He vows by himself because there's nothing higher. So nothing that God does ever compromises what God does. He's the only being in the universe that can do that. I can promise you plenty of things. I'm going to fail you, right? I can vow by myself because I shouldn't vow from anything else, but I'm going to fail you. And I could promise Brother Levi something. I could promise Brother Ethan something. I could promise Connor something. And there's going to be conflict somewhere, right? Just the very fact that I can't be two places at once. If Brother Ethan needs help at his house on a Saturday morning, Brother Brother Levi needs help at his house on a Saturday morning, now I have to choose. Somebody's going to lack in something, right? But God says every time, not sometimes, not when it's convenient, not when he has time. Every time we reach out to him, he hears us. He hears us because he's everywhere. He's self-sufficient. There is no end to God. If you're crying out for mercy and I'm crying out for mercy and a half a billion other people in this world is crying out for mercy, there's never an end to mercy. There's never an end to grace. There's never an end to an all-consuming fire that is our Lord. 
He's self-sufficient. Guys, this is just the first, this is just the first attribute. This is this is fantastic. So he saves us from sin, okay? Not because he needs to do it. This is why this this is why we do studies like this. Why is there a salvation plan? So we're saying that God is self-sufficient, and if he didn't save anybody, he would still be God. And if he saved everybody, he would still be God. But why? Why is this? So he saves us from sin, not because he needs to do it, but because it's a free gift of his grace. And that's it. He wills it to happen. He doesn't gain from it. We do. His creation does. How much does our creator God love us is that he realizes what sin has done and where we are headed. And he interrupts that. He takes what the enemy has meant for evil and he turns it on its head, means it for good, but not only that, then he weaponizes it to go right back to that enemy. How can we say that everything that happens in our life, even the really, really bad stuff, we could quote Romans 8 and say it's for my good. How, how can we say that? Because everything that has happened, nothing is wasted. Every tear that you have cried, every wound that you has been afflicted to you emotionally, mentally, every single thing that has happened to you is now being weaponized and sent right back to the face to the one who meant it for evil. Because if nothing else, all you are is a testimony of God's grace. You're one more vessel that the enemy can't have. God's internality is his aseity with respect to time. Why is God eternal? Because he's self-sufficient. He's outside of time. What's the opposite of a fixed point in time? Timelessness, right? So why is God eternal? Have you ever thought about that? Well, because he's not in time. It's pretty easy. Alistair Begg, when he was talking about revelation, and we're going to use this concept when in when we uh, go through Revelation, I don't have that on the book, so everybody calm down for a second. But uh, he, he said when looking at uh, apocalyptic literature and things that are hard to understand, he says we need to remember that the plain thing is the main thing and the main thing is the plain thing. So when we can't understand eternity, why is that a thing? Well, because God is outside of time, so the only thing that is left is timelessness. So we'll keep the plain thing, the main thing, and main thing, the plain thing. I can't tell you what eternity is. All I can tell you is the rest of my life, I'm going to spend it with him, right? That's plain enough for, for me. Because he is the creator of time, he stands above it, but enters it freely to do his will. He transcends time in that one he has no beginning or no end. Two, he does not change. Three, he is equally conscious of past, present, and future. And fourth, he is not limited to the passing of time and what he can accomplish. He can step in at any moment and accomplish his will. And it doesn't matter if it's the last second of your life, right? Do we believe in deathbed confessions? Absolutely. We do. My Bible says if there's breath, there's hope. And if it takes your last breath to cry out to God, guess what? He's gracious and he's merciful and praise the Lord all. Well, they didn't work. Doesn't matter. We're going to find out in Galatians. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If God gave them another day, salvation came, there would be work, right? That's why we say his timing is always right. Well, he's the creator of all things. So, of course, his timing is always right. And even if it isn't in our timing, which, let's be honest, most of the time it's not, it would be super cool if he would just do things now, right? But a month from now, when those things have been accomplished and you look back and you go, huh, that was the perfect time for that, right? We see it all the time. That's why I say the, the ordinary things that us Christians see, do you understand that every day of your life is a supernatural experience? The creator God has manifest himself in you in the form of a spirit. And that spirit 
brings you into new life every day. And we call that ordinary. It's just another Tuesday. I woke up. I said my prayers. I read my little devotional. I went and did my time at work. But yet, if you would just step back, peel off these fleshly eyes, and look through the spiritual eyes that God has given you, you see those moments where you're just working, right? And then this person comes up and you need to pray for them, right? All of these things that you're like, I don't know where that come from. Or you're just, you're working, you're, you're in the yard, you're doing your laundry, you're doing, you're cooking for your family, and, and this thought comes across your mind, and it seems to drop in your spirit, I need to pray for Sister Caleb. I mean, ever, that, that should happen to everybody. I'm not saying it happens every day, but we would call that ordinary because the supernatural happens so much and you have been made a new creature. Do you understand that? That creature is not merely physical. It is an awakening. I was fully alive physically, right? I'm not any more alive than I was. If anything, I'm more broken physically, right, than I was at 17. But I was made alive spiritually, right? That spirituality, the supernatural effect, the manifestation of our spirit was resurrected into new life. And Paul says this physical form is only waiting for the day that it can be shed and we can become who we truly are. And we call that ordinary. Thank God for the ordinary. Amen. Thank God for the supernatural experience too when it happens, right? When someone comes up for prayer, they've got a bad they've got a bad report and then they go back to the doctor and that report isn't a bad report anymore. Thank God for those instances. Thank God for those who are trying to live paycheck to paycheck and have no idea how they're going to make it. And then all of a sudden there's a check in the mail from the insurance company that you haven't even paid in two months. Like, what, How do I have back money, right? All of these are true stories. In the 80s, I remember my my parents telling that story and they had done got to where it was my my parents, my mom's sister and her husband all living at my grandparents' house because they couldn't afford house notes. They they all pulled in together to live in this house and, and it took three full families to put a, a meal on the table. Someone would buy bread, someone would buy milk, someone would get a donation here or there. They would go out and kill some rabbits or some squirrels and they would they would put this meal together. This is how they were living. And my grandma would have the audacity sometimes. Dad would come in. He was working in, uh, he was logging because the, the uh, he was uh, offshore at the time, but everything had stacked. They had pulled everything. They had laid everybody off. He come in, he's logging. He can't even afford work boots. He's logging in tennis shoes and water up to his thigh floating logs right on old log hogs. This was back in the back in the 80s, working themselves to death just to make a few dollars. And my grandma would have the audacity to catch him when they come in and say, Richard, go out to the mailbox and get my check. They ain't paid bills. They're barely feeding themselves. But by faith, dad would go out there and open the mailbox and there's a check from the insurance. They don't even have it anymore. You understand? Or my aunt will tell you this story, the same thing. Right after this, they, they kind of got into a little rent house and time still was bad. They still wasn't really making it. And she went and, and they prayed. We don't have money for bills this, this month. We, we don't have it. We got three kids to feed, diapers. We don't, we, we don't have it. They prayed and she went and did laundry, just ordinary things. She washed clothes. She dried clothes. When she took the clothes out of the dryer, there's money in the bottom of the dryer. A few 20s here or there. So, my aunt's crazy enough. She washed them again. Washed the clothes. These are the same clothes now. Washed the clothes. Dried the clothes. There's money in the bottom of the dryer. She did that till there was no money left and it was to the penny what they needed to pay the bills. 
supernatural experience. God stepped out of eternity into time and manifest to meet the need while they're only doing ordinary things. That's a self-sufficient God who creates out of nothing. They're washing clothes. My, my, my uncle is going cross country on a, on a big truck and it's his pants. It's his clothes. They know they have no money, but yet there it is. Right? Thank God for those times. But what it was was faith. Right? It was faith in a God who can. And times were hard and they you can you can make a case and say, well, yeah, times were hard and, and they needed to trust God. Absolutely, they did. And let me tell you, those times are coming again. History has swings, and I don't know why we have to be as stubborn as we are, but times have to get pretty bad for us to fall on God. But I have faith. Because the God, God that was in the 80s is still the God today. That self-sufficient God that got my grandparents and parents to believe is the same God that's manifesting His same Spirit in His same people today. He's self-sufficient. The term CD comes from the Latin phrase "ah, see," meaning from or by Himself. So He didn't come from anybody. He has no mama. He has no daddy. He always has been. Right? Think of ah, millennialism, or or ah. Right, Gnostic, agnostic. It's a it's a lack of something, right? And so agnostic is a lack of knowledge, right? All millennial is not really the right term, but it, no millennial, right? And ah, see is a lack of beginning, a lack of something. Okay, so. That's where we get a CD from. Herman Beverick, he's a Dutch theologian. If you really want some good quality, curl up in your nightgown and lower yourself to sleep, read some Dutch theologians. They are very dry, but they have great information, okay? Uh, defines a CD uh, by saying that God is whatever he is by his own self, or of his own self. So God is whatever God says he is, and he is that by his self. Okay? He adds that a deity is commonly viewed as the first of the attributes. Okay? That's why we're doing it first. And even says that all other attributes were derived from this one. So where does God's love come from? It comes from in himself. Right? Because he is self-sufficient. He doesn't pull from somewhere to give. He pulls out of himself to give. Okay? The term aseity is not found in Scripture. You're not going to find the word aseity. But the word does express some ideas about God. And they are fully biblical. So let me give you some, some working Scriptures. The Bible teaches that God is see or from himself, lacking nothing. First, by teaching that God is the owner of all things. He is self-sufficient because every single thing that you can see, every single thing that you cannot see is his. Right? I'm working on a, I'm working on, we're going to try and teach it maybe or preach it. I don't know. But um, uh, TikTok, hey, use it if you can. Uh, there, there's this thing where the sequence of our DNA is broke up in such a way that it spells Yahweh. I'm not going to teach it or preach it until I can prove it, I guess, if that is. But, but what they're saying is to our very core, to our very DNA structure, Creator God has put His imprint on each and every single one of us. And it's not just human DNA, it's DNA everywhere. Right. So that would be pretty cool if it turned out to be true. We're looking into it. Feel free to help me in that. That'd be super cool. Uh, and and they're, they're, 
their premise is this, is that if there is a creator God, right, we say since there is a creator God, but if there is a creator, then that creator would want to, want to express himself in some way. Every painter puts their name at the bottom of the canvas, right? If a creator is proud of his work, like Genesis says, he looked out and seen that it was good, then he would want to imprint his name on us, and they say that it is. So it teaches us that he's the owner of all things, the possessor of heaven and earth. And we're going to go through these pretty quick. Genesis 14, verse 19 and verse 22 says, He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Verse 22, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth earth psalms 21 and 1 the earth is the lord's and all it contains the world and those who dwell in it that's pretty plain right there you want to talk about the plain thing is the main thing we'll read that again psalm 24 verse 1 the earth is the lord's and all it contains the world and those who dwell in it so are you the lord's yes is your neighbors the lord's yes is every Christian ever the Lord's? Yes. Is everyone who's ever rejected the Lord the Lord's? Yes. Everything is the Lord's. And he's self-sufficient in it. No, we haven't even... He, he's not less than. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Everything that is created, the universe itself, still currently expanding because he said, let there be, and he hasn't said stop yet. It is still currently expanding galaxy upon galaxy, trillions upon trillions of stars, and he still has power. He still has authority. He has not lessened himself in the least, and everything has been created. That's the God we serve. You think you're going to be okay? I don't know, Pastor. It's hard right now. You're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. We say it all the time, but it's true. The worst thing that this world can do is in your existence, and all they've done is start at your eternity. You're going to be okay. Does that make your current situation any less? That's not what I'm saying. But what it means is a creator God sees you in that, and he has enough power to help everybody and you too. <laughs> Psalms 50, verses 10 through 12 for every beast of the forest is mine. We're going we're gonna to throw some nuance in here. So chapter 24 said everything is his. But just in case you missed that, that may have been a little too vague. Here we go. Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world is mine and all it contains. He's not going to say I'm lacking in something because he doesn't lack in anything. If God was able to become famished, he would just reach down into his creation and fulfill himself. But he's not lacking anything. You say, well, Christ, Christ hungered. Yes, he did. His humanity, the divinity inside of him was just waiting to go home. Give me my glory back. I've been here long enough. How long do I have to suffer them, Father? Let me do what I'm supposed to be here to do, right? Over and over and over again, he was wrapped in horribleness. God wrapped in flesh, dwelling with sinful people. A self-sufficient God had to find a place to lay down. A self-sufficient God had to thirst in the desert and wait for a sinful woman to come to get him something to drink, but yet also he tells his disciples, I got food and water you don't know of, right? The devil comes to tempt him, and he hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, and all you got to do is pick up that stone, and by the time you get it to your mouth, it's going to be a piping hot piece of pita bread, and he goes, I don't need that. I don't need that. I live off of every word that comes from my father. That's the God we serve. He knows what hunger is. He knows what being insufficient is. 
And at the same time, he's the source that he drew from when he needed nourishment. He tells the woman at the well, if you only knew who you were talking to, forget Jacob's well. I realize he's a patriarch. Guess what? I changed his name to Israel. Forget Jacob's well. I am the water, right? I was the rock in the wilderness. I was the manna. We are nourished both physically, emotionally, and spiritually from this self-sufficient God. And yet he lacks nothing. He is never less than. Do you start to understand what eternity is now? We'll never reach the end of him. How can we? He's self-sufficient. He has no beginning and he has no end. So where's the middle? There, there is none. Think of it like that. That's how I have to think about eternity. Well, because that's what, you know, like plutonium, we talk about the half-life of plutonium, right? And if we could just get it to that half-life, then we can contain it. So in, in internality, my mind have to go, well, if I could figure out the half-life of eternity, then we could figure out the whole life of, I'm sorry, I'm nerding out on y'all, but, but there is no middle. There's no half-life. Because there's, how do you measure it? You don't. That's the God we serve. He's the owner because everything other than God is his creation. Exodus 20 and 11, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them and restored on the seventh or rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He created everything. Psalm 146, five and six. How blessed is he whose help is the Lord is God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord, his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who speaks faith forever. (laughs) Creatures do not, uh, we do have as creatures, we do have possessions, right? Like that truck is my truck, even though according to the government, it's not mine, I still pay for it, right? We we have things, we have trinkets, right? But I didn't. I haven't created anything up until this point. You say, "Well, we've had kids. Yeah, yeah. We didn't create that, right? More specifically for me, but you who have had kids, you were the means that God knitted that blessing into the mother's womb to fulfill a purpose of an insufficient God. You have been made responsible. You have been made steward of one of God's children." See, when you start to think about these things like that, how much more important is is it for us to follow the word of God and to train these blessings up in the way that they should go? Because although my stamp has been put, put on them and my responsibility lies on them, ultimately they go back to God. Same as me. I love my parents, but they're not my parents forever. I'm going back to my creator one day. Everything, see, that's the thing. Everything he has flowed out, what does the Bible say? It's all going back to him. Every single, every single thing that has went out, he's going to draw back one day. And then he's going to create new again, because he can for everything to be perfect. Job 41 and 11, we couldn't leave Job out. Job 41.11, God owes nothing to any creatures, okay? He doesn't need us, but he wants us. This is why this is important. Job 41.11, who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. How can he owe us anything when I'm only borrowing everything? That's what he told Job. Job cried out for 40 chapters and then God started to speak. And then Job was like, stop it. Stop it. Don't do that, please. I'm sorry. Right. Repent it. Very repent it very quickly. Romans 11, 35 and 36. Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That means a truth, the end of it, right? 
Now it is true that God puts himself under obligation. He is self-sufficient, but he is governed by himself. You think of all the times when he stepped into creation, right? And he speaks to Abram, turns his name to Abraham and says, I'm going to start a line with you and I'm going to we're going to put two altars out. Right. And he puts Abraham into a nightmare. Literally go read it. It's in Genesis. And he walks. God himself walks between the altars, making a covenant with himself. Right. Or when he says to Saul, I am going to remove my spirit from you. And now that spirit is going to rest on David and David. Oh, by the way, you and your seed will be kings forever. There's a seed coming from your line that is going to be a king forever. Did that happen? Yes. God's obligated to keep his promises. Praise God. He keeps his promises because he vows by himself. It's an unbroken covenant that cannot be anything other than what God has said it is. Because he's self-sufficient. So God has, he has no needs. Psalm 50, the whole psalm, we would be here for days to talk about all this, teaches us that unlike pagan worship, the worship of the true God is not intended to meet God's needs, but to acknowledge him for his self-sufficiency and his sufficiency to meet our needs. See, that's the complete different of every other cult, every other religion, every other worldly God is that we need to praise them so that they can be more God. Our God says, praise me because I am. Praise me because there's, I've lived for a very long time, right? I, I've been here forever. I know no other God. The, scripture. He says, I, I looked around. No, no other God in the creation that I made. Praise me. Right? Praise me. Our gods that we make, we go, we look around and go, there's a lot here. I better praise somebody, get on their good side so that I can stay here. Right? I better really try and work hard so that one day whenever I'm dead and I stand before this God that I made out of grass and stubble and rock and gold and silver, right? I stand before this God and he goes, ah, you did enough. Go ahead, get in there. No, our God says you'll never be enough, but I'm going to change you. Praise me. Why do we worship? See, these are answering a lot of these questions that we may or may not have the answers for. Why do we Praise. Why do we praise a God that doesn't need it? Because he's worthy of it. He's, he, he needs nothing but our glory in him. And he glories in himself. I add nothing to him in his worship, but let me tell you, we were created to worship something. We need to worship him. Because if we don't, we're going to worship something else. That something else ends up being us. So acidity, uh, acidity, that's not it. If, a, if God was acidic, he'd be seven. He'd be perfectly in the middle, perfectly neutral, right? His pH would be perfect. Aceity does indicate the vast difference between God and the world. The world is utterly dependent on God. If God ceased to be, we would too. That's what we're talking about, self-sufficiency. If you cease to be, God still is. See? Now you go back into Marvel, and there's a whole movie. It's like three and a half hours long of, uh, nope, not Marvel, sorry. Uh, Clash of the Titans. Okay? There's a whole movie around this premise where the God of the underworld Right, we call him Satan, but they have a God, the God of the underworld, gets everybody to stop praying to the other gods. Okay, they start praying to the God of the underworld. They stop praying to all the other gods, and all the other gods become weaker because they feed off of the prayers of the mortals. 
right? So then the God of the underworld becomes stronger because everybody's praying to him and he's trying to take over the God world, right? It's this whole, this whole big thing and it's a clash of the titans, right? The cracking comes out out of nowhere. It's, it's craziness. It's dumb. How can we as mortals think that my prayer out of this mouth, out of this tongue that was created by God could add anything to him? It's impossible. Aristotle believed that his God, this is going to be a little G God, okay? Aristotle believed that his God, the prime mover, is what he called him, could not love the world because such love would compromise his self-sufficiency. He prayed to a very insufficient God. In his view, a God who loved the world would be dependent on the world. Very worldly way of looking at love, right? Relying on the world to arouse his affections. If you do good, he does good to you, right? So his contact with the world would cause him to change. He would have to adapt. That's what Aristotle thought. If God was to love the world the way that these quote-unquote Christians says that God loves the world, he would have to change. He would have to become less than or more than, right? If he has enough people praising him, then he can become less than, right? If he has less than these people praising him, then he would have to become more than to compensate for it. Aristotle, brilliant mind, missed it. Missed it on God. The biblical God is different. I hope you can see that. His love for the world is sovereign. It's not dependent. It's out of himself. Given even to beings who show him no affection. The most atheist of them all still has the love of God applied to his life. It's only by the grace of God not salvific grace, but the grace of God that any of us are who we are. Before I was saved, it was only by the grace of God applied to my life in that time that I didn't end up being more than I was. Right? A preacher says we're all Hitlers only by the grace of God that none of us are. We all have the capacity of being the worst of us but it's only because God has governed us to get us to a point of salvation that, that any of us are who we are. That preacher also goes on to say that even Hitler had a chance. We don't like to say stuff like that. Like, uh -uh. Yeah, he had a chance. He rejected. As far as we know, I don't know. Let me tell you something. If I get to heaven, and people that I think shouldn't be are there, glory be to God. What more glory could bring a God that saves the worst of us? You say, well, he can't say, he saved you. He saved you. He can save anybody. I'm not that bad. You're worse than you think. You're worse than you think. You say, well, I haven't done. That's because of God's grace. It's because of God's grace. Take God out of your life before salvation, at salvation, or now. You're horrible. You're horrible. Yeah, to pray. You're only as good as your heart is. We'll put it that way. And read what the Word of God says about that. I say that at work all the time when somebody wants to, and we're closed, somebody wants to, do something, right? We I meet a lot of people around town, and and uh, when the when the Powerball was like a bazillion dollars, you know, they find out you're a preacher and they want to ask. I know gambling's bad, but like if I gave 27% to the church, would would God accept it, right? Somebody asked me one time, if somebody wins the lottery and they want to they want to tithe to your church, would you accept it? I said I pray over it and bless God. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, I would take it. Why wouldn't we? What good could we do with it? I don't care how I get it. Now, they're probably going to miss their reward. God's going to use it, though. What they meant for evil, God means for good, right? But, but that's just it. 
I would never gamble. Man, that's a big number, right? That's a, that's a big number. God, let me just, just, just want, give me a free pass one time, right? That's the wrong thinking. You're not as good as you think you are, right? And that's me at salvation. Take God out of my life. I don't have that conviction. And I'm totally dependent not on God now, but on this world. The biblical God is different from that. His love is sovereign, given even to beings who show him no affection, who can do nothing for him. Romans 5 and 8. You knew we were going there, right? But God showed his love for us What while that we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. That shows you the love of our God. He had nothing to gain. He had nothing to gain. What did he get when he got me? But yet he desires to have me. So I'll devote my life to that God. I'll devote my life to that God. Let's stand. Lord, as we have yet to even scratch the surface of your self-sufficiency, Lord, help us to, in the coming days, to, to gain knowledge in this attribute. Lord, to help us to step back and see with the spiritual eyes that you have given us, oh God, every moment of our day has you in it. To the very mundane, to the most extraordinary, you have ordained it all. You're in control of all, and you're not lacking in anything. Lord, help us to understand that, Lord, and to apply that to our life. If God is for us, who can be against us? Lord, if you are the one in control of my life, hell has no hope. Lord, what this enemy means for evil in this world, you'll turn it on its head. Lord, and you'll use us as the means to do so. Because although you need nothing, you use your creation for your good and our benefit. Lord, we thank you for this. We glory in your name. Amen.